Matthew 27, beginning with verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole Roman cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him. Saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him and took the reed and began to beat him on the head. After they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. As they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots and sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified him were also insulting him with the same words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is the beginning of the crucifixion and tomorrow Stephen, Pastor Baker, will pick it up from this account. What do we have recorded here concerning the last few hours of Jesus' life? Likely it was early in the morning. Not much of the day had passed when Jesus was given the cross to carry it. From Scripture's record, it seems to indicate that he got as far as... Do you have that here? Bring it on up, would you please? Hey, kids, come on up front. All of you kids, come on up front. Come on up. you got to see this. You know, you've heard about Jesus doing a crown of thorns, having it put on his head, you know. Come on over and show this to them, David. Now, some of you boys, go ahead, David, show it to them and tell them where you got it. Okay, let him touch him. Go ahead, you touch it. Go ahead. You want to touch it? Go ahead, go ahead. You want to touch it? Any of you that want to touch it may touch it. Where did you find 
He just got done over over right by the road. Any of the rest of you want to touch it, Samuel? You want to touch it, Cynthia? Come on, you can touch it. Anybody else want to touch it? Come on, come on. No, you won't do it again. Come on. What do you think, Jonathan? Go ahead, touch it. And you, you, you adults afterwards, come feel this thing. It is unbelievable. I mean, these things are unbelievably strong. And if you were to take this and just slightly pull it across, it would just be bloody immediately. And this is after what? This is after they, they whip him, remember? And when they whip him, what's true? Did I ever mention this preaching? What's true of his back when he gets done whipped? It's, it's hanging in shreds, his skin. Often people died of the whipping. So this is a picture of what Jesus went through for us. He had a, a crown of thorns. And if I were to take that and weave it into a crown, you know, a little circle, and shove it on my head, what would happen in my head? Have any of you ever had to have stitches in your head? What happens when you get a head wound? It bleeds. You bleed like a stuck pig, although I think Taylor tells me stuck pigs don't bleed or something like that. <laughs> you know? But you bleed from head wounds unlike any other wound, don't you? It's just blood pouring down Jesus. And then he had this huge cross that he had to carry out to the edge of the city, and he made it as far as the city gates. And then apparently he could not carry it anymore. He was so completely uh, done in. And then did you hear from the, the scripture we read tonight? Did you hear who carried it then? Who? Yeah. Simon of Siren. Was that who it was? No, Simon of Cyrene. Okay. All right. And uh, then he went out, they put him on the cross, and when he was on the cross, um, he, he hung there for a long time. Sometimes it would take days, you'd hang on the cross. And it was, it was an awful way to die. And he had no clothes on. All his clothes were off. He was naked. And they picked the busiest place you could find him to put him so that everybody would make fun of him. That was part of dying. They just did. Maybe God guided the nails. Sometimes they'd tie them, but Jesus had nails put through them. And they just didn't hit any bones. Ask your dad to see an x-ray and he'll show you. Okay, any other questions? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it would hurt the guy that made the that made the crown. Yeah, he may have worked. I don't know if they had leather gloves back then or not. That's what you'd need. But this this will go right through a leather glove. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye. Let's go through the text and just make a couple notes about what the Bible tells us here. The soldiers of the governor took him to the praetorium and gathered the whole Romans. So 
at the beginning, who is it? It's, it's, it's the Roman rulers, right? That's just water. Um, and then they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, but he wouldn't have been crucified with anything on. He would have been naked. That's how they did it. Um, after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So this was, this was a more private mocking. It was public, but it wasn't at the crossroads outside of the city gates where everybody's coming to see what's going on. Then they spat on him. How many of you men have ever had a man or a woman spit on you? Pretty awful, isn't it? So they spat on him and they took the reed and began to beat him on the head. All right. And after they had mocked him, they took the scarlet robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they were coming out, and so we understand that they were coming out of the city gates at that point. So Jesus apparently had the energy, was able to take the cross that far, but then he completely broke down. And so then Simon of Cyrene came up. And they pressed him into service. Is all these things about Simon of Cyrene being a great, you know, man of faith and he carried Jesus' cross, but there's nothing in the record to indicate that at all. It says he's pressed into service, all right? So he was a guy happening along. He was probably a Jew from the name. And they commanded him. And when the Roman army commanded you to do something, you did it, all right? Um,. He bore Jesus' cross when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. They gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting, he was unwilling to drink. You know, we're not exactly sure about this, but probably what happened was that Jesus would have been very thirsty. Think of the fluids he lost from, from, the, uh, from the scourging and then the bleeding. So he's bone dry, right? And so Jesus at that point is very, very thirsty. And so as they hold it up to him, he thinks that they're going to alleviate his thirst, right? But he tastes it. And what they did was they put stuff in that was unbelievably bitter. And it was part of the mocking. It was the joking. And so Jesus then, and you'll hear some people say that it was was actually, you know, an effort to to help him by him, um, by giving him drugs, you know. Um, but that's not likely uh, the reason he put it away. Likely it was because it tasted very, very bitter, and his hope of having something to quench his thirst uh, was, was not satisfied. And when they had crucified him, you think there, well, they crucified him, so he's dead. But no, crucifying him was the process of putting him on the cross. Uh, there were like three different ways, forms of these crosses that you could be put on, and we know that his was like this. And uh, he's put up. They could be tied. They could be nailed. But Jesus was nailed. Um, Sometimes days he'd be up there. You know, he'd die by asphyxiation. And so the agony was trying to lift yourself up so that you could breathe, so that you'd be able to expand your lungs. And that's why when when they broke their legs, all right, you would die almost immediately because then you couldn't lift yourself up to for your lungs to expand any longer because your legs are broken does that make sense to you and so that's why they would hurry it along by breaking the legs and then this agony of trying to get breath would would end um when they had crucified him they divided up his garments this was common 
uh, the executioners got the clothes. Um, and sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there because it was a long job. They could be there days. And above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, what did that say about Jesus to everybody there? What did it say about him? What it said was, this is the man that claims to be the Messiah. That's what it said. This is your Messiah. This is the king of the Jews. This is the Messiah. Okay. Then verse 38, at that time, two robbers. Now, whether they were robbers or political um, revolutionaries, most people think that they had more of a political part, that it wasn't simply that they were greedy and tried to take other people's things. All right. That's not what the Greek would really indicate. So um, probably they were insurrectionists. All right. Um, At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And so think of the symbolism of um, being crucified with with, uh, revolutionaries and robbers. Um, And that's extra, extra specially humiliating because you're crucified with sinners. You know, there's certain times where a man would like to be alone. And if you're being crucified, that's one time. Right? You know, you don't want to be crucified with a couple of guys that everybody knows they're scoundrels. Not only that, but who was in the middle? Jesus was in the middle. And so that adds to the symbolism because he's the worst offender. That's the person you put in the middle. Right. Okay. so Jesus is up there with these guys. All right. One on the right, one on the left, and those passing by were hurling abuse, hurling abuse at him. Wagging their heads. Now, you can you can abuse somebody without hurling abuse at him and you can abuse somebody without wagging your head. So picture it, you know, yelling at the top of your lungs and taunting a guy as you're taking your head. Okay, you know, your head's back and forth and you're just mocking him. And everybody is out in public and there's two sinners on either side of him. He's at the center and people are just hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads at him. And it's a high old time. And this is what they're saying, verse 40, you who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well, he never said he was going to do that. Doesn't matter. Close enough, right? Save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Now, why? Well, because God would help him to come down from the cross, right? Then verse 41, in the same way, the chief priests who also, along with the scribes and elders, what do you notice about that construction? What you should notice is Matthew is very careful to tell you the whole kit caboodle are in it. You know, it's what? It is the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, all three of them. In other words, every single institutional religious leader of the Jewish people was in on it. So in the PCA, we'd say the deacons, the teaching elders, the ruling elders, the stated clerks, the seminary professors, everybody was there. All right, that's what was going on at the time. 
all the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, and the people passing by, and the thieves on either side of him. What is everybody doing? They're all mocking and hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads at him. This is what Jesus is going through. If you had been there, would you have done it? Yeah, you either would have done it or you would have been silent. Probably very few of you would have walked away. Think about this. If you were in the room for the witnesses when somebody is executed in the electric chair or the gas chamber, do you think you'd sit on the other side of that window? Even if you were the victim's family, do you think you'd sit on the other side of that window hurling abuse and wagging your head at them and mocking them? It's unbelievable. And they were saying, he saved others. He can't save himself, verse 42. He is the king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross and we will believe in him. Would they have believed in him if he'd come down from the cross? So what they're really doing is they're really accusing God of not giving them the evidence that their highnesses needed, right? <laughs> you know, God, if you, if, you, if you revealed yourself to me in a way that I could actually see it, I'd believe. You think, of, uh, you think of the Sadducees asking Jesus whose, whose wife she'll be in heaven. Remember that? Um, no, no, no. Rich man and Lazarus. I'm getting confused. And Lazarus um, and the rich man die. And Lazarus, um, the rich man up in heaven, says that if they'll send somebody back to his brothers, that then they'll believe in them. And here they say, if you come down from the cross... We will believe in him if he comes down from the cross. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who had been crucified him, with him were also insulting him with the same words. So if you think very, very carefully about everybody that's around Jesus at this time. Okay. If you think about Judas, Judas has left and Judas has betrayed him and Judas is now dead. If you think about Peter who uh, swore up one side and down the other that he would never abandon Jesus. Even if he had to die with him, he'd do it. And then in the courtyard, you remember he betrayed him. You think of the other disciples, um, they ran, they fled. Peter was the most brave, and he's the one that swore up one side and down the other. He didn't know him. You think of the religious leaders suborning perjury the night before, trying to get as many false witnesses as they can. You think of Pilate. And you think of the Roman soldiers. Think about this. It's a holy week, right? And what do pastors do on Holy Week? Well, pastors have services, right? You've got Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, and Easter, and Palm Sunday, four and almost a little over a week, right? So what are pastors doing on Holy Week? What were their religious leaders doing during Holy Week? 
I mean, can you imagine this? What they do is they're not at the temple and they're not home working with their family. What are they doing? They make a pilgrimage out of the city to do what? To gloat over Jesus. How much do they hate Jesus? The religious leaders. How much? Why do they hate Jesus? Remember what Pilate said. The Roman dude knew. The Roman dude said that they hated Jesus because of what? Jealousy, because they were jealous of him. Why were they jealous of him? Because he was a great leader? You know, like Stephen Levy, this, you know, the, the, one, the one habit of an effective man and of an effective leader, and, and the habit of Jesus is to be humiliated. Jesus was a very effective leader. He, he, he had no place to lay his head, and he managed to have people mistreat him everywhere he went. Why were they jealous of him? Was it just that he was a leader? Why were they jealous of him? Have you ever thought about that? If the Bible has a word, it's worth thinking about. So it says for jealousy or for envy. Why did they envy Jesus? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Because he had something what? Oh, because he had people's hearts, so not just leadership, but love. So the people didn't just follow him, they loved him. Is that what you're saying? I mean, you don't want to say love because that's trite, right? But it was love, right? Okay. Like, he knew their narrative? Which was what? Yeah, but his kingdom wasn't of this world, right? I really believe that at the heart of their hatred was the fact that Jesus was a righteous man. And I think you and I hate righteousness. That's what I think. (laughs) You know, you're standing in line at Kroger. (laughs) Don't worry, this hasn't happened to me recently. All right. But you're standing in line at Kroger and you're just so irritated. The line is so long and all you have is four things, right? And then this dude cuts in line in front of you, right? And some sweet soul says, well, go, go ahead. I don't, go ahead. I'm not in a hurry, you know, and you're ready to crush their brain in. And then some sweet soul And you immediately feel gratitude that there is such righteousness in this world as that sweet soul, right? And I'm using a trite, a trivial example because I think we can buy into such a stupid sort of small thing. But then you think of Jesus. You think of this witness, this life. You think that when he's dealing with the the Gerasene demoniac, Do you remember their testimony about Jesus, any of you? Here's what they said. They said about Jesus. um, I have to find it a second. 
Here's what they said about him. Seeing Jesus from a distance, the Gerasene demoniac ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? So what was the witness of the demons? The witness of the demons was we have nothing to do with each other. Why? Because Jesus was holy, and they were demons. What business do we have with you, Jesus? Okay? Judas, who betrayed him, said, I have sinned by betraying what? Innocent blood. Hebrews 7.26 says, It was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. Can you imagine your entire life is spent leading the people in worshiping God, learning the law, avoiding sin, and then along comes Jesus. And everything he does is holy. I mean, think of what it meant to them that he associated with the sinners and the publicans and the prostitutes. What did his father say? You remember when he was baptized in Matthew 3? Remember John protested and said he shouldn't baptize Jesus? Why? Why didn't John want to baptize Jesus? Because John knew he was unworthy. It was appalling for him to think of baptizing Jesus because baptism was what? Baptism was for the forgiveness of sins. It was a confession of guilt. And here John is seeing his wickedness. And then the Lamb of God comes. And so he protests, but Jesus, verse 15, answering, said to him, Permitted it this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That was Jesus' mandate. And then he, John, permitted him, Jesus. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. You imagine, uh, if you had been a Pharisee there, you had been told uh, that you should uh, go and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then all of a sudden you see the dove coming down on Jesus' head. Would you be envious? You're told to go and produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And then Jesus is baptized and the dove descends on his head. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Is Jesus righteous? In 1 Peter 2.22, it says about Jesus, Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. In 1 Peter 2.23, While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. 1 John 3.5, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. First Peter 3.18 For Christ also came 
died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. Second Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin. And so, brothers and sisters, God's eternal truth is that Jesus suffered and died on the cross as the final proof of his righteousness. And as the final proof of his perfect union with his Father in obedience and love, of his great compassion for lost sinners perishing in this world and the next eternally. And his suffering and death were not in any way an admission of his guilt, but rather of ours. When he went to the cross, he did not go for himself, but rather he went from his Father's love for us. He went obediently as a son. He went bearing not his own iniquities, but the iniquities of the world. And if you think about that, um, that scene under the cross, every single aspect of it perfectly designed to maximize the suffering and the torment of the soul there. You know, the emotional torment, the physical torment, shame. And then you look back and you think over The Pharisees paying Judas to betray him. Judas betraying him. Peter and James and John falling asleep in the garden. Peter betraying him later that night. Or not betraying him, but denying him. And then you think about the scribes and the Pharisees. Trying to get people to be false witnesses. You think about Pilate. You think about the Roman soldiers spitting him in crowns of thorns. You think about him being scourged. And every step of the way, absolutely every mouth is stopped. You know, when this is over, there's nobody bragging to anybody. Nobody saved their pride. There aren't the clean ones and the dirty ones. Or like Jimmy Cuffey said one time, we're the goodies and they're the baddies. There are no goodies here except the Lamb of God. That's it. Tomorrow, Pastor Baker is going to preach on the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement. And tonight, we're going to come to the table realizing that you can take your pick. You can be whichever one of them you want to be, but you're one of them. And all of us would have been striving amongst ourselves to see which of us would have been the greatest in the upper room. Because that was the disciples, you know? And not one of us would have washed anybody's feet before Jesus did it, and we would have been sitting there arguing and copping postures with each other, I'm better than you are, but nobody's that ghost, you know. You don't say, I'm better than you are. What would you say? Well, the Greek in the original says, hey. You know, we have our ways of fighting. We're never that blunt. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that's that blunt in generalizing and, and just massing everybody together 
and saying there arose a striving among them as to which of them would be the greatest. And that's it. We don't need to hear any of the details. We just know how that works. And that's the best of us. They were the ones that didn't end up putting a crown of thorn on his heads and casting lots for his clothes, you know. And they're the religious leaders at the very end. And they have been wanting this day so much that they've left the temple and they've left their homes and they've left the holy city and they've gone outside of the walls, right? So that they can do what? So that they can torment him as he dies. That's our religious leaders. So do we need a Savior? Do you need a Savior? Do I need a Savior? Do I need the blood and the body of Jesus? And is he a good enough sacrifice for you? You you could kill your unborn child, murder your husband, commit adultery on your wife. You can be somebody who has given yourself to embezzling from the church. You can have been guilty of incest. What sin is there that the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ is insufficient for? What is it? All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the inequity of his soul.